Hi there, you're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a bit of a content warning. Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. Now this is things like rough language and frank descriptions of terrifying situations and adult topics such as sex work and drug use. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your cup of tea, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Now, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. Here we go. So the world spins and spins and spins and something is fucking with the gravity as you plummet across the stairwell towards the big mirror. You expect it to shatter. You expect it to bounce off the wall. You expect it to hurt in some way, shape or form. But nope. Blunk right through, just like landing in a pool of water. But then, oh, then the gravity goes differently as you bounce off the bowl of the big gnarly oak tree and hit every branch on the way down now you feel every one of them bam 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 and smack until you land face first in the mossy ground with a big root across your ribs it knocks the wind out of you your vision swims in stars and you think that you might vomit there's a creaking as you draw a breath and uh, fight your way back up to your knees and uh, as you look around, you are in a primeval forest, and high above you, probably 80 feet in the air, there is a square of light that shines in the darkness of the canopy. So nobody saw that, at least. Well, that's a plus. No, you appear to be alone. The forest is crawling with all kinds of noises, though, and there is motion everywhere just beyond what you can see. Although you can't really seem to make out from where there appears to be like a, a humming, a thrumming, a vibration in the air that causes it to throb and pulse all around you, although without sound. Well, I'll just frantically sort of like pat myself over, make sure I've got all my stuff and especially check the see if my uh, satchel, my uh, my folio is still there. It's hanging from a branch about halfway up the tree from where you fell. Well, crap. Guess I'm going to have to go back up and get that. Well, once you've managed to gather your breath and uh, correct yourself, because fuck, that hurt, man. You fell, you fell down an 80-foot tree. The fall, A straight fall would have killed you. The interrupted fall was not pleasant, but at least you're alive. 
I know all about that from personal experience. <laughs> I'm sure. You manage to get your feet underneath you and stand up and grab the uh, bark of the tree and start climbing up. It's probably 15 feet of hard pulling and like, you know, kind of humping the tree with your knees to pull yourself up the bark to the point where you can grab one of the lowest branches. But when that happens, you manage to haul yourself up. You've been, you've kept yourself in pretty decent shape for a lawyer. Still not as young as I used to be. And this many pull-ups in a row is just not fucking cool at all. Right? Like it's a straight pull up into a pull into a push down. You know, to get yourself up to the next branch and then climb to the next one and then to the next one. It is a full hour climbing the 80 feet you fell. By the time you get up there, you're looking out at the end of the branch, just about 20, 15 feet out the bow. There's, uh, there's, there's a window in the air. It's just hanging there. And uh, it looks out onto the landing up towards Jobsworth's bedroom at Jobsworth's house off of Barrister Row. Uh, how about my uh, my satchel, my papers? How are they? Did I, did I grab them on the way up? You, you grab those, and uh, the satchel seems undisturbed when you open it up. Uh, the papers have been shaken around. One of your ink bottles has spilled and ruined a minor contract that you were working on, but, you know, I mean... Smell, spilled milk, really. The uh, thing you're most frantically searching for, obviously, is the glass pen the Magma made for you, right? Yeah. It is unharmed. Okay, good. Well, and, and also, that is my tome, the uh, the satchel. Um, the other thing, well, yeah, I mean, like, there's been a bit of damage to the tome, nothing you can't fix, like, overnight, just get it to your desk. You can clean it out and clean it up. It's You've spilled ink in it before. It's no big deal. But uh, that pen, when you pull it out here in the gloaming of the fey light of wherever the hell you are, uh, it's luminous, man. Like, it is a light in the dark. It is about as bright as a glow stick. Well, that'll come in handy. It'll make it that much harder to lose, hopefully. All right. Well, how's how's the tree look? Um, like it's a big, big oak, I, I, I guess. Eh? Like an eight, well, an eighty footer at least. Ancient, yeah. It goes way up beyond this too, right? Like you, you're just eighty feet up off the ground. There's still all kinds of tree atop this. And the uh, the window is out past a bow, or I can kind of like climb out you, the bow you, to it. You, you could walk out a bow to it, but it would be. Uh, I mean, it would be a balancing act. It's not like you're a tightrope artist and you'd have to shimmy out there. But, I mean, with a, with a decent athletics or acrobatics check at your option, you, uh, you could make it out there. I know my two big stats are dexterity and charisma, but I don't think I took any. No, didn't take any extra proficiencies in acrobatics or athletics. I'll give a, well, I don't know, like, shit, yeah, nothing nothing ventured, nothing gained. I'll try an acrobatics. All right. Roll it straight. Just uh, dexterity with, uh, just a dexterity check with your bonus. Nine. 
okay so you get out there and the bow bends and shakes and you overcorrect and and like your feet slip and you you like you plummet again you fall like two or three stories until you catch on to you you catch one this time it doesn't you don't bounce off of it you catch uh you catch a bow this time and you hang on to it and your legs are swinging and your satchel is you know pendulously winging around and you know there's leaves everywhere and you're 20 feet down okay well i'll scratch that plan and i guess shimmy back uh back up and just carefully climb back down without any more of that nonsense all right well as you're as you're kind of climbing down you you kind of look up and you can see that uh there's a there's a shadow like it appears somebody looking through the the hole like from where you can see you can see like a humanoid figure there kind of from below as though you were looking into a window an attic window from the sidewalk in front of a house I suppose I'll just wave and shout. Do you try climbing back up so they can maybe see you, or...? Yeah, back up to the bow, but not, like, way out onto it like I was. All right, well, when you climb back up there, you get up to the bow, it takes you a good five minutes. Uh, You know how to do it now, right? So it's not as much of a challenge, but... uh... You get up there, and when you get up there, Jobsworth is straightening his tie in, in a mirror, it looks like. Well, that doesn't seem right. And then he stops and looks in the mirror, and you think he can see you. Jobsworth? Yes, sir. Do you think you could help me out here? Won't be a moment, sir. I'll be right back with just the thing. Where did he get that Bailey Mina Street accent? Is that what you sound like when you put him on? Oh, even the best servants occasionally have a rough edge. Existing independently, I would say, is the bigger concern right now. So you're like, well, so you're watching him as he, he kind of rushes away and you're like, relieved, right? Like, okay, okay this is weird, but surely, like, <laughs> he's going to go get a rope or something, right? When he comes back, he's got... Uh, the shillelagh that he keeps by the door. He says, I'm awful sorry about this, sir, but orders are orders and uh, nobody likes to tangle with herself. And with that, he takes the shillelagh and uh, you start, like, lunging out the branch because, like, fuck this. You see he's going to break the mirror and this currently is your only way back. You go lunging out the branch and he just swings and shatters it. And you see all the pieces fall. As you lose your footing and kind of swing down the branches again to the ground to land in a heap. Our focus now shifts to Maxstone Avenue in Queensbridge, where is located Calder's Curiosities. Now, Calder, you're going through your correspondences and find that one of the suppliers of antiques and notables that you had been dealing with elsewhere in the city on one of the ports has uh, unfortunately met his demise and uh, has willed his business to his son. However, his son is an upright and upstanding sort and uh, is auctioning his father's book of contacts and affairs presently. Now, that would be invaluable to you. And so uh, you've sent some Nigels to track the bids because like there are pre-bids and basically they'll open up, they'll get them all tallied and the highest bid there in the pre-bidding will be the opening bid at the live auction, right? 
Mm-hmm. So you've sent some Nigels to check on this, and uh, it looks like it's going to be fairly expensive, but, uh, I mean, not beyond your means. This thing with Hulu has certainly stressed your finances, and you should probably talk to him and Arabet about that sort of thing soon. But for now, you seem to be solvent enough to afford yourself this one luxury, which might come in handy for future endeavors. Like, I mean, let's face it, Bailey Mina is only so big, and uh, depending on how big Hulu wants to make this venture, you might run out of places to hide and need it back up. So, I mean, if you've got another good spot, now would be the time to start padding it. All right. All right. Um, any... What, uh, when I send the Nigels out, I also want to be clear for them to want to be careful. Like, they're not exactly international men of mystery, but I'm wondering if they're if they have a sense of what this kid is interested in. Maybe there's something other than money that could motivate him. Well, he is a mid-level actuary for the city of Bailey Mina. All right. He's taken the education his father's business has provided him and gotten himself a nice, cushy government job. He's not interested in the shipping and acquisitions business and um, knows that his father was a man of some esteem in those fields. And so it's being held for auction, yada, yada, yada. It's way uptown anyway. It's going to be 30 grand off the hop. I mean, look at spending a hundred large and then you're probably going to have to move a bunch of things around, but man, it would be worth buying. Does it include the space? Like the actual shop? You could pay a visit to the proprietor and check it out. How far uptown? Well, the, uh, Actuary himself lives in the Meadows, which is the same neighborhood you understand that uh, Grand Madame Hulu resides in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The shipping business is, of course, down by the wharfs, um, not too far from Lost Acre. It's a short jaunt across Copperpenny Row. Um, not that you know anything about this, but it's might be something to mention to Arabeth that work out with Thrasher, depending on how these territory things work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Dad dies. We're business associates. Son inherits everything. He wants nothing to do with this. He's very happy with his uh, government job. He wants to say, here's the client list. Here's all the stuff. I want him some money. Wash my hands of it. Right? Exactly. Okay. Is the building by the wharf, is that part of the deal? It is part of the chattels of the business. Oh, this is so very, very interesting. And is it uh, like just a warehouse or is it like storage in a, in a storefront? Like, uh, paint me a picture. TJ Porterhouse, senior, the uh, famed importer and exporter, um, shipping and acquisitions magnet of a certain notoriety in the mid-range docks of Bailey Mina. These are a full 
probably a full hour out towards the coast by carriage from Lost Acre. Not that you stay in Lost Acre, your place in Queensbridge is much more comfortable and secure. However, the Nigels have been making great progress uh, through various unseen ways in charting a route between Queensbridge and Lost Acre because it'll be, it, you know, it'll be necessary to know, oh, yes. the, oh, yes. you know, it'll be necessary to know the way. Um, they haven't got it out all yet. There are a hell of a lot of things down there that they, they have to deal with. And uh, sometimes it takes them a while. But from Queensbridge, the trip out to the auction itself, the live auction, is uh, it's going to be like two hours by carriage. It's on the other side of the Firth. You'll have to take a high bridge, uh, jump on the buster, either by rail or by rope, you know? Oh, uh, de definitely by rail. Is the, is the auction at the place of business? It is. All right. Now, as you rattle along the town through the bus, as, as you get onto the buster and rattle through the town, uh, it, it keeps its customary elevation uh, over most of Bailey Mina at an, like a height of 100 feet. Um, Consequently, like the trestle bridges are just massive, sturdy, huge iron and wood structures that drive down into the, you know, the, across the Firth and things like that. But it's a big U-shaped track that goes in a continuous circuit. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible to ride the buster in a loop all day long. Anyway, there are four, con there are, sorry, there are six continuous trains going and uh, they run at an average of every 10 minutes. They're never late either. The Buster is incredibly punctual. It's, it's like a wonder of imperial architecture. It is also worth noting that there is nothing like this in Skyld because there is no need, right? In mm -hmm. your childhood, and you muse at this as you mind the gap and step onto the, step into the car, the Buster, and, you know, with your, well, Obviously, you've dressed to go to an auction, so probably have a, a decent suit and a, like like a a bag. What's the name of those bags now? Satchel. Yeah, like a satchel, but there's a particular kind of satchel. Anyway, you got like your satchel and your your umbrella and your you know your your decent coat and your your decent hat and your mustaches all waxed up nicely and everything is everything as you mind the gap. And uh, have a seat on the uncomfortable chair, thinking about how much less comfortable it would be without your belt on. So you rattle along and look out over the Firth. You can see like the the mist because right now the mist hasn't burnt off the water yet. So you're rattling along, and you it'll give yourself a moment to fade out to the old days, and uh, where you eyes fade in is the view looking south from your family's tower at a height of 2,000 feet where the air outside is so thin that, you know, 
only those with the broadest wings dare leap from here, right? And the stoutest hearts. And you're, you've been too young anyway. Like, you'll, you won't have wings for another century. Come inside, Calder. It's too cold for you out there. And, uh, you know, all your older siblings and aunts and uncles will come wheeling in on their big broad wings of various colors and, you know, chuck you on the head and things like that. And you run around with the other children of varying ages and descriptions to the snotty teenagers who seemed so much more mature than you're sure they were because you're older than they were now. And, well, you don't feel that old yet, you know? <laughs> Not even close. Like, you're still a kid, and everybody around you has been treating you like this respected, refined elder. You've got them going, right? But oh, my God. They're actual adults, and they think you're, like, exactly like one of them. That's kind of, uh, well, it just shows you what their mindset is like, right? If you're mature for them, then there's probably a reason they don't live thousands of years. Fair enough. You know? But just like, you know, you know that your grandfather could think for weeks on a single thought. You can't focus like that. You don't have that in you yet. Like to, to be able to sleep for a month. Who's got that kind of time? Who can sit still that long? Still, all of those things, that patience, that enlightenment and wisdom, it all comes with age. And the more time that you spend with your grandfather who sits in the satchel in front of you and is comfortably ensconced in his kukri because you never go anywhere without him anymore. Absolutely. You get the sense, you get a magical sense that he's uh, in the room, but minding his business. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll just come in and get the tea. Don't mind me. Mm -hmm. But you know, you're remembering the view of the Southern view of the family tower. Like when you would go out and everybody would tell you, you were too young, get inside, you know, when Vermithrace, when she would come in and almost take you out every time she would catch you outside, she would almost land on you and miss you by inches and claim she didn't see you. But it seemed a little coincidental that it was every time. <laughs> but anyway, Clearer and more present thoughts. You uh, check the wax on your graying half-elven mustache. Take your glasses off. Quickly buff them on your uh, jacket and have a look at yourself to make sure that everything is still together. Because occasionally when your mind wanders, so does your face, right? Yep. But no, you kept your discipline. And uh, soon enough, it's your stop. So you bustle off the, ch the train with your umbrella and your satchel and you know your raincoat and you go down by the docks where a small crowd is assembled and it's a bunch of rougher looking sorts and you think that most of them would be like former staff of the place as for the place itself it was uh it says tj porterhouse and company importers and exporters and it's a building in decent repair that's been painted in the last couple of years which means that it's slightly faded and washed out this is a little bit close to the styles and so gets that occasional acid rain that uh boils up out of there now and again when old chemicals meet each other and disagree 
However, the place looks to be in good repair, and the manifest of goods says that it has four decent seagoing vessels. Um, and are they uh, docked on the adjacent wharf? Or are they uh, are they that lucky? They are currently berthed in ter- like inside the uh, in- inside the building itself. Because as you look, there is a covered wharf outside. Ah, all right. How much uh, how much time do I have until this thing's supposed to get started? It should kick off in about an hour. And uh, what's the lay of the land? Uh, just this uh, scrabbled bunch out front. Uh, any other any other whales walking around? I'm uh, I'm keenly aware of there, of how I am being perceived a, by this group. Yeah, there are a couple of attorneys. Uh, conferring around and like a few of them are peeking in windows and you know there are a bunch of people standing around like there's there's a few guys standing there smoking and talking like i've got 35 dollars to throw at this together with the rest of the boys we've got over 600 oh yeah we'll buy this right up does there appear to be staff here i'd like to request a tour there is a well-dressed young elven gentleman with uh, the long ears of an Anuni, so a Western elf. He's uh, wearing like a very sharp pinstripe suit, and uh, unlike most of his kin, I mentioned that his ears look long because he's cut his hair so very, very short. Oh, my. And... As he walk up to him, like it's a brush cut with a number two on the sides, right? So, as you walk up to him, he turns his he turns to you and, uh, in very cultured comments, says, uh, "Yes, how may I assist?" Oh, why, hello, I'm Master Lock Calder. I'll be participating in today's auction. I was wondering if there's an opportunity to perhaps uh, survey the wares. I say, is that a Burgoyne accent I hear? That's, uh, sir, you have me at a disadvantage. That's, uh, that is that's a question. My friend, that's my friend. Often. A Burgoyne College accent. I haven't heard one in years. Yes. How may I help you? Well, I have quite a bit of interest in today's lot, and, uh, I, uh, made sure to come with, uh, some advanced time. I was hoping that I could uh, have a look in uh, something of an inspection. Uh, I've certainly read the manifest. Uh, it's a very impressive opportunity, but there's nothing quite like seeing it with your own eyes. Certainly not, and I would expect nothing less from a man so cultured as yourself, sir. May I have the pleasure of your name? Yes, of course. I'm Master Locke Calder, purveyor of the finest curiosities and small wonders. And I'm Faladil Greenleaf, attorney at law, and uh, I'll be overseeing this auction. It's um, my card, and he flips a card over to you. It's uh, the black and gilt of uh, Starkweather and Fair. Really? Indeed. Stark weather and fear. Uh, tell me, friend, uh, uh, do you have the acquaintance of uh, Mr. Hulu? Indeed, sir. I uh, 
We joined the firm on the same evening, in fact. Oh, how splendid. It is good to know that this auction lies in such well-understanding, incompetent hands. Would you like to inspect now, sir, or after you've made your purchase? Oh, I think, I think now would be uh, quite delightful. Very good. Who knows? Someone else here might have the money. Can't say, really, can we? I'll, uh, I'll roll insight on that. That sounded uh, intriguing. Let me find a die. Got one. Mm, total 16. He's, well, he's uh, representing Starkweather and Farron in an estate auction. So, no. Fair enough. Well then, shall we? Certainly, right this way. And he opens the door with a wave. There's just like this, uh, he makes this sign with his fingers that you can't really trace because it's fluid and fleeting at the same, it's fluid and flitting at the same time, you know what I mean? And when he finishes this little flip flash with his fingers, the there's just a multitude of clicking and turning of mechanisms and the doors swing inward and you are greeted with the scent of mixed spices such as might be found in any sort of secure warehouse on any reputable dock in Bailey Mina. Lovely. So, uh, full perception on, keeping uh, an eye out for things, looking for those uh, those uh, special finds, but also, I don't know what's out here, but I'm looking for an angle on the auction. I don't know what that would be. In the back of my head, I'm wondering if there's a little something I could do, maybe clairvoyance, maybe something else like that. I don't know. I, I have a bag of tricks. I want to be pretty subtle overall, so I'm just looking for, you know, something here. I mean, I can just go toe-to-toe and see how it goes, but... That's not really how I roll. All right. Well, you're wandering around. The place is well-maintained, and the offices are actually well-appointed. The uh, wood, like there's a lot of cherry wood and well-oiled hardwood floors and uh, deep shag carpets and this sort of thing. And, like, the business is still running. Let's not mistake anything it's still in business there are people at the desks and you know pursuing the contracts and you know the ships are being loaded and uh sent in and out and things like manifests are getting filled and the business is performing and it uh, it it appears to be doing so professionally there's nobody slacking when you make your way invisibly along the back wall with this skulking lawyer and uh you don't catch anybody off like on on their heels and things just seem to be going well the next room you enter is a big warehouse style room and your host mr greenleaf says and the place comes with as i understand it a greenhouse apartment they were all the rage for a while there's somebody renting it although i couldn't say whom Oh, that is quite lovely. Uh, tell me, um, the, uh, the business as it is, um, have they done uh, much in terms of exporting, let's say, 
ale. Certainly, I would. Uh, I'm. I'm told that uh, Mr. Porter, Mr. Porterhouse, had a wide range of expertise in shipping and receiving, and transporting of goods. Excellent. I have some growing interests uh, here in Bilimina, and uh, uh, certainly one of my key. Uh, key desires with this purchase is to uh, extend the reach of my market. Say no more, sir. You speak of the Black Register, then. It's only you and I here, Mr. Calder. It's, uh, it's quite all right. We're, uh, we're aware that Mr. Porterhouse had some less than legitimate interests and uh, would need to apprise any buyer of them anyway. You seem well-informed, and so let's not dance anymore, sir, shall we? Excellent. Yes, there are a number of things that are quite attractive as operation. Uh, ships, storage, location on the wharf. Uh, this apartment sounds quite delightful, um, but I must say the breadth of business opportunity is the thing that I am most interested in. Then you should probably be thinking of upwards of 25,000 if you're bringing money to bid, sir. I say this as a fellow Burgoynian. (laughs) So uh, thinking to myself, that sounds low, right? Well, yes, and no. I thought, I thought the Nigels were like, the floor is going to be like 30. Well, yeah, the floor is going to be 30. And then this ledger is going to be 25. Oh, I understand. He's talking about a, a completely separate purchase. Sorry, I didn't understand. Yes. That. Yes, the building effects and chattels, everything that's on paper and legitimate, is uh, going to be 30,000. The ledger, the other ledger with what to do with all this shit, that's 25 by itself. Fair enough. Well, it is certainly a a valuable commodity. Yes, and I'm afraid you must have one to have a bid on the other. Isn't that frustrating? Oh, I, uh, I rather enjoy collecting sets of things. Well, excellent. I'm glad to hear it. The auction will be starting presently, but we've uh, a lovely Viv Clicquot upstairs, if you'd like to join us for a quick sip. Uh, That sounds absolutely delightful. So we'll cut to about an hour later with uh, Calder putting keys onto his ring, which he then attaches firmly to his belt and tucks... uh, drying envelope into his vest pocket and, you know, heads back over to the buster and, you know, climbs the stairs to get up on the platform. Now, it's probably about nine o'clock at night. Most of the people in the neighborhood have gone to bed Um, or, you know, gone home or, sorry, I shouldn't say gone to bed. Most of the people are not riding the train. They're at home doing whatever they're doing. They have retired off the streets for the evening. And so you uh, climb up a platform. Uh, There's a lot of stairs, but uh, honestly, those 
lifts are janky as hell. They rarely work. And, uh, well, why not? You need the exercise. So you're climbing up these, uh, you climb up these stairs and you're stopped at one of these lift platforms and you're looking out over the firth and, you know, cooling yourself, you've popped your collar to uh, drop some heat, although you're not particularly hot because that's not how your body works. But, I mean, it's a habit by now, right? The uh, the sum illusion is constructed in many, many small parts. It is. It's the little things. It's the little things. I pop up my collar. Uh, trying to uh to maintain uh my uh my uh full identity here and uh and i light myself a smoke a self-congratulatory smug smoke you have your smug congratulatory cigarette and uh set your satchel down on the platform beside you and draw back on take a long deep draw on the karnak and tobacco and you know, blow a cloud out into the sky. You can see the, you know, it, it's, it is the evening, of course. It's, you know, like I said, everybody's gone off the streets. So the moons are rising. It's, uh, you can hear the, the music coming from the city and, you know, various windows and people talking and radios and, you know, all the jalopies rattling. And there's even that, like, that constant hissing slither of the buster from above you right the rattling of the tracks and uh you can feel by the way the thing's shivering that there's a train coming and should be there in about five minutes it'll give you plenty of time to get up there and present your token and then uh from out of the stairwell slithers this so i'm i'm standing there having the smoke i'm already like i'm so pleased with myself i'm already you know going through next step plans, right? Imagining Burley and Took beer getting wagon loads off of the dock and what nefarious things I can put in those casks as well. Oh, and I must talk to Nari. Uh, I must ask him about this Greenleaf fellow and is he a rival? Oh, and you should look at the paperwork to make sure and all that kind of stuff. Certainly, yeah. And... Uh... You know, it, it it's pretty good. It's, uh, you know, we got it, uh, you, you got it sorted out, it seemed uh, pretty standard. You didn't get too bent over for it, but again, it cost you 50,000 gold pieces, right? That is most of your primary nest egg. Oh, it, it just hurts me. Like, it, like... There's a phrase, Sakit Hati, that my my heart hurts because it costs a terlalu mahal. It's too expensive. But this opportunity to get that property, this business in that book, I have a long life. And this is going to pay off because this is a long game. Absolutely. So, I mean, you get back on the, like, you're going to take the buster and you're having your pipe. And this, uh, this guy, like I said, he, he's, he's tall. He's just short, just shy of six feet. But, uh, if he weighs 150 pounds, he's soaking wet with big, heavy boots on. Um, 
He's thin as shit. He's got the gaunt features and rancid smell of a crush head. And, uh, you know, as he, as he, you take note of him and turn to face him as he walks across the platform with that kind of shuffling, itchy gait where he's like picking at his mid thigh with his thumb, the thumb and forefinger of his one hand and, you know, like futzing with his fingers, trying to seem normal while his features on his face are just not obeying a goddamn thing he has to say about it. And uh, he's like, hey, man, uh, you, you look like you got some some money, right? Like, uh, you look like you can spare a little bit. Come on, I'm having a hard time. Man, can can, can, can you help me out? Hmm. I think the person best suited to help you, sir, is yourself still. And I'll find a, a couple of coppers from a, one of my many pockets. He looks at the couple of coppers. He's like, come on, man, you got to have some gold in there. You got to have like a, a galleon or stallion. Help me out, man. Give me a, two coppers won't even get me a, 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 won't give me a room for the week. I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to need more than a night to, to get my feet underneath me. You, you, you know what I'm saying, boss? Terribly sorry. I believe I don't. Well, he doesn't believe you, so you should roll initiative. Fair enough. Well, I rolled a six and... And that's five higher than I rolled. <laughs> and I have a massive plus one to my initiative. So, uh, yeah, that was lucky. So guess what? You won. Most telegraphed attack ever. Yeah. So uh, I don't really think this guy's a threat. I mean, if, if, if I can beat him on the drop, clearly... Uh, so I'll let him. Uh, I'll let him do his. Uh, I don't know his haymaker. And I'll step past him, and I will spank him on the rump with my walking stick. <laughs> right now he he stumbles out and uh, hits the railing of this platform and like lurches out over the over the ground like the neighborhood below. And there's like this sickening Hitchcock moment where the camera jumps to uh, about like to one of the trestle pilings about. 30 feet from where the platform looks out and behind the guy you can see the night spreading against the sky with the stars winking off into the distance and you know like he kind of hits the railing and you see him from below and he looks down and the camera looks back up at him from way below and then uh, it wheels up and you can see that you are like, like 80 feet off the ground and he turns around humiliated by this pat on the rump goes oh you think you're a fucking smart guy do you? What I think of myself is not of consequence here. What is important is what you think you will do next. Well, he rolls a 19 for an unarmed attack. What's your armor class? My armor class, sir, is 14. So he just fucking punches you. Like he, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a straight right. And he just popped you one right in the mouth. Well, oh. That was most uncivilized. Apparently, it's time for someone to teach you some manners. Look at, look um, at you, look um, at that, that, that coat must have cost five gold itself. Easy. Now, there's this scene where Calder has kind of been punched and turned uh, turned back a bit, and he's he's been put back on his heel, and he's a little bit shorter, and 
and not as you know present and physical as he could be there's this tall this tall thin fellow is looming up and trying to be as big as he possibly can and his hands are curling into claws as he steps another hesitating half step forward toward mr calder he gets off his one shot and uh, i say oh that was quite uncivilized someone is going to have to teach you some manners and um he hadn't cleared me very far uh, with his punch so i step in close to him is is this uh does this poor fellow have a coaster he does. It's nothing I would brag about or even call a code in public, but it serves. Well, in that case, I will grab him by his lapels, twist them in and lift him up slightly and uh, look him in the eye and say, that is no way to treat a gentleman. And then shocking grasp. And he dances the electric fandango until you release his lapels and he crumbles into the platform at your feet next to your bag and you know the uh, gather your effects as he's quite ruined your smoke and go up to meet the train which is pulling which is rattling into the platform 20 feet above um yeah as happens. i look at his crumpled form i uh, i tisk to myself such a waste uh then i'll open his hand and retrieve the coppers i so generously gave him just in time, too, because you need them for Buster Fair. Indeed. The door is closed and the Buster rattles off. It is the next morning. Arabet, you and Stitch are actually in residence. Um, Stitch, you're brewing up another healing tea to help the boy knit. Um, he hasn't been back in a few, he hasn't been back to his house in a couple of days. And you've been busier than a one-legged cat in an ass-kicking contest with all of these injuries and sicknesses and whatnot that have suddenly sprung up and demanded all of your time. You know, Ben, I know it's an you know <clears throat> a vocational hazard, so to speak, but uh, could you stop? getting kids stopped and bringing them back here? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think we need to stop getting anyone stabbed, don't you think? That's true enough. How is Tim today, anyway? Tim, how are you feeling? Uh, it hurts. And it it, they tell me it's healing, but <laughs> I've never gone and stabbed before. What the hell? He's perfectly fine. It hurts. And he's <laughs> Mr. Stitch. I don't know if he's really a doctor. Oh, he's, well, he's most not a doctor. Not a doctor. No, he's uh, he's not any sort of doctor that uh, with a license. But he is the guy who keeps most of Lost Acre, and well, sorry, who keeps most of Old Bailey Mina alive and healthy. You'll be fine, boy. Listen, if you 
been maybe a couple inches to the left and a little higher, you know, you'd be breathing blood. But you're perfectly fine. <laughs> Wait, what? Breathing blood? That's an excellent point, Stitch. That thing is uh, that that stab was was wickedly placed. It was uh, it was perfect. It was debilitatingly painful, but not permanently damaging. Um, very small chance of the victim bleeding out, and every chance of them not wanting to fight anymore. It was an expert stab. Somebody knew exactly what they were doing. I'm sure I would have uh, informed Bet of this in a stitchy kind of way. Timothy, you got to understand. Someone's sending a message, and they're using your body to write it out. Can they just use a letter next time? What? What message? Always check your six. You thought you were safe when someplace you could never be safe. But you were with me, Arabet. Think again. I was preoccupied, wasn't I? And what were you doing? Well, I was watching your six. Right? Well, you were watching me perform my test. What you should have been doing was scoping everybody else out in that whole area to see who's watching you and who is watching me. And on Timothy's face, you can kind of just see like that uh, slight hesitation, just keep talking back, but he just keeps his mouth shut and says, yes, sir. It was also a message for me, Timothy. It means that someone out there sees this as competition. So that person went after my back instead of yours? Well, you never stab at the strong side. You always strong, stab at the weak side. But Timothy, they didn't want to kill you. If they wanted to kill you, you'd be dead. Uh, oh. Stitch, there's the crunching of feet on the gravel on the stairs coming up to the roof. It echoes in a particular sort of way that your sharp cat-like ears can hear. It's like it, it fills the thing. I don't know how anybody can't, but round ears are dull, right? Pointed ears are sharp, I guess. That's how nature in, intended it. And, uh, yeah, you can hear somebody doing a passable job of trying to be quiet, but almost almost succeeding. Uh, bet. Are you... <clears throat> sorry. Sorry. Are you expecting company? Why do you ask? Do you hear something? Uh, well, I, I am just saying that my ears are far superior to your own. Uh, because it's me, uh, but th there is someone outside. Arabet pulls out a bolter. What are you doing? They, they might just be knocking on the door. Why do you always have to pull that thing? Because I can't hear them, and you can. That means they're not coming to knock on our door. They're sneaking. There's a knock on the door. 
Do you think it? Do you think it might be another message? Arabit walks up, puts the bolter on the door, and slowly opens it. Standing on the other side of the door is what looks for all the world, if she had not walked up here so quietly, to be a noblewoman. She's tall, long, well-coiffed hair, lovely dress. She's holding a letter. Timothy, the single most beautiful feminine thing you have ever seen in your life. All grace, all class, all beautiful. And those eyes, my God, they're deathless. You, uh, the, you've never seen a more enchanting creature. For a moment, the agonizing pain, which doesn't really hurt that bad, to be honest, uh, <laughs> is relieved. And you, uh, you can... You can only see her in the door. Was she about 18 or 19, this young lady? About so, yeah. But anyway, Arabette, there's, uh, she's got guild all over her, right? Just the way that she's, just the way that she carries herself. She's got that sort of cocky arrogance that the guild carries. And that you're going to have to learn to keep out of Demotay, it makes them sloppy. Anyway, do go ahead, please. Hello. Good afternoon. I wasn't expecting you. I suppose you wouldn't be, would you? But I have an invitation. Demotay, you were right. It's a message. Uh, <laughs> Demotay... Like, uh, for a second there, he was, like, uh, kind of swooning, kind of daydreaming a little bit. And then the the word message hits, and he just visibly just shudders for a quick sec. M- message? Um, I'm open to any invitation you might have. She offers a lovely, well-calligraphed envelope to Arabic. The name on the envelope, however, is not Arabet, is it, Lucretia? No, it's Arthur. Arabet's face drops. I see. Um, what do you see, Arabet? I open the invitation. It appears to be an invitation for brunch down in the Iron Fire Bramble, a smithing district not really known for their brunching. Stitch, when he cracks the envelope, there's this aroma that's very subtle and it smells of machine shop and, uh, you know, like blade oil and steel grindings and that sort of thing. His uh, nose wrinkles ever so slightly. The little whiskers brussel a little bit and he kind of moves a little closer to uh, to Timothee. Hey, lad, are you up to going for a walk? Well, why? What's up? I just want to know if you can walk. I, I don't know. This hurts a lot. It's all fake, but I I guess I can do a walk. Good. Valiantly, 
valiantly when he gets up you notice that he like you could take the stitches out today stitch he'll be fine it, it can't hurt as near as much as he's as he's acting it as it is but uh when you lean over to kind of help him up out of the bed just in case is entirely harmless but painful injury was uh was in fact debilitating and you were entirely wrong you're not um you catch a smell that smell one smell and that smell has a name, and that name is Ursa. Massive wrinkling of his nose, they, they bristle, and like most cats that are caught with their uh, uh, fingers in like a candy jar, he, his eyes go very wide and dilate. Oh, bet, 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 bet. Yes, Stitch. Um... <clears throat> Do you remember back a few years ago when we took a little trip and we met some friends in a bar? I'm already, already there. And in in the common script on the envelope is the name Arthur. He quietly mouths, oh, fuck. And it's just kind of... Whistles and looks around the room. What's going on? Also, um, are you sure you don't have the wrong person? It says Arthur. I accept the invitation. Tell your mistress I will be there. I'll expect you with bells on. And Lucas smiles a smile that could freeze gin and turns to walk out the door. Bye. Close your mouth, boy. Uh, okay. I would really like to speak with Calder, actually. Stitch, I think I'm going to go for a walk. Well, you know, uh, your mother gave you two good legs. Go, go, go ahead. You think I might find Calder at a shop? I believe he spends most of his time at his shop, yes. Queensbridge is a leisurely stroll of about an hour from your end of Lost Acre. In Bailey Mina, because there are so many steep rises along the Firth, there are thousand stair staircases everywhere. The thousand stairs at the legislature they're the most famous, but there are staircases and lifts and winches and cranks and pulleys everywhere in this city for lifting things up from level to level. And the city is built on all kinds of different terraces. You have to climb a bunch of different staircases and, you know, take the odd circuitous route if you navigate it on foot. It's... uh I mean, there are bicycles, there are those steam-powered carriages, there are wagon lifts, which are like, you know, instead of a bridge, you just pull off onto one of these lifts, it lowers you down to the next level, you drive away. Uh, It's good for, like, wagons and carts, and lately the steam carriages, but the whole city is just moving on all different levels. And there's no easier way to see this than on foot, right? Now... Arabet Timute is a frigging wonder at getting through this city. Um, he knows it better than you do, if that's at all possible. Normally, it's an hour and a half, 
maybe two hours if you take your time. Uh, you don't, you're not even breaking a sweat and he gets you there in 50 minutes. What can I say? Well, I can say thank you. You're very welcome, sir. Okay, stay aside and see how many Nigels you can spot. How many Nigels? Uh, okay. I can't come in? I'd like to speak with the master uh, alone for a moment. All right. Timothy gets ready to just kick some pebbles around for the next couple hours. Well done, Timothy. Take some inspiration for that, would you? Mark an inspiration on your sheet. Thank you. Certainly. Well thought. So, yeah, you uh, kind of puff yourself up. You're dressed relatively well. Not so well that you look like an easy mark, but respectably attired. Also, Arabet bought you that new coat and rig a while ago. So you've got your bolter tucked in at your side there. And uh, all these, you know, you're kind of sitting there feeling like the heavy, you know, while you're kicking stones around. You're at one, you're, you're doing that sort of thing that kids do when they're 16, where they're not quite kids and not quite adults yet. You know, it's that age. Yeah, just shooting the shit with myself. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so yeah, that's what uh, that's where we leave Timothy as uh, Arabet lets himself into the shop. Now, Arabet, there are no fewer than eight kobolds in the room, although none of them are visible. Master Calder, you don't have your face on. Uh, <clears throat> Nigel. Yes, sir. Did I hear someone? I believe it was Master Arabet, sir. Oh, um... Uh, were we expecting him? I don't think you have anything on your appointment to schedule today, sir, but uh, I may be wrong. Maybe Nigel's put something on there at the last moment. Give me, a, give me one second and I shall, I shall go and thrash him soundly if he's wrong. Uh, no, no bother. I'm... Please go greet him and um, ask him what he wants to drink. Uh, let him know I'll be along presently. He's a whiskey man, isn't he, sir? I have the sense that uh, Mr. Ribet is whatever sort of man you show him. Whiskey it is. Um, I'll tell him you'll be right along. And he does, and uh, you are shown by this Nigel who comes out with a pleasant smile on its little draconic face and you know, it's a kind of weird, waddling, chicken walk sort of gait. Two hands clasped in front of his little pigeon chest. Ah, oh, yes, Master Arabet, sir. Please, Master Calder is seeing to some archaeology down in the basement, some sort of sensitive archaeomantic divinations, which mustn't be disturbed, you see. So... He says, please come, have a seat in the study. He'll be along presently. Is that whiskey I smell? What? Uh, well, Train knows you must have. Yes, I brought you some uh, Estimondine bourbon, sir. Excellent. Tell Master Calder that I'm ready whenever he is. I'm sure he'll be right along this way. And he shows you into this little sitting room, which... Like, it's got two seats in it, and, uh, you know, there's... You're 
almost sure that you see cat scratches on the arm, like in the wood on the arm of one of the club chairs. It's just a detail that sticks out. Anyway, you sit down, and uh, the Nigel puts on a record on the Victrola. It is the latest of the mellow jazz, which has been taking the city by storm the last few years. It's uh, it's quite a good little record, and you sit there and sip your whiskey neat out of a tumbler while Calder seems to take longer than Siva to get ready. And then, uh, you know, maybe you think about stepping out for some lunch, and uh, then he comes in, Calder amazingly fast seriously like 10 minutes start to finish you got everything together you had to scent markers down now so i mean that extra step it, it adds time but what are you going to do but seriously 10 minutes later you look like a freshly shaved mammalian half elf and uh come strolling with easy aplomb into your sitting room ah erebus was a pleasant surprise I do apologize. I uh, can't help but notice I think the Nigel have been sitting in your chairs. Oh, really? That's, uh, that's rather amusing, actually. Hmm. Um, I don't know how to begin, Master Calder. I have a, I have a problem. Oh, well, in that case, we have a problem, don't we? Well, we could. We could have two or three, actually. Um, the first problem involves a woman. Does it now? Yes. I believe she is the one responsible for what happened to Timothy. Oh, go on. It is an old guild message to you stick a knife just so in the person's back and teach them a lesson to keep their eyes open and uh, appealed. And you know how Timotea can be distractible sometimes. I believe that this message was meant to pique my interest and get me worried, which it did. I see. And uh, what do we know of this woman? Well, it would seem that she's guild-connected, although I didn't know that at the time when I knew her. And oh, she uh, is back you, for me, I think. Ah, uh, so she's an acquaintance. In the... Yes, she's an acquaintance. Um, and the other problems... Do you still have the chest? Oh, of course I still have the chest. I, uh, I'm loath to get rid of, well, anything, really. I was never completely honest with you when I first arrived here, and I did not know how the meeting would go. May we open the chest again? Of course. Uh, it's downstairs. Follow me, and I'll take him down to the uh, secret uh, workshop uh, downstairs. With all of the 
magical glow lights turning on as Calder passes them. Arabet, I want you to make a perception check with advantage. 14. There is something odd about the texture on the back on the, of the skin on the back of Calder's neck. Now, this in and of itself is, un is not unusual. In Bailey Mina, there are people with all kinds of heritages. The Hulus, for instance. Um, Ziva appears to have the silvering skin of a Shadar Kai elf, where her brother Nari, well, when he's wearing his own face anyway, is quite robustly high elven. Like, you know, Calder, for instance, he's, uh, he's hard to place. He's just like generically half elven. But now you're walking down the stairs, you can see the fine pattern of scales just from his hairline to his collar. And like they're flesh colored and, you know, like they, they just look like, if you saw them in a different light, they'd look like, you know, like the nothing else. Maybe he's got some dry skin in the back of his neck. But no, in this light, they look like the organized, neatly fitted armor-like scales of a reptile running down the back of his neck. Arabit takes note, but says nothing. Calder, as you go walking down past the lights, you check your dress in the mirror at the bottom of the stairs, and you see that Arabet is heavily armed, and you know, and many with many different varieties of and methods of uh, inflicting harm on somebody. And uh, also, you hadn't noticed this before. There's there's an inch of padding in his shoes. <laughs> really? Uh, uh, uh... I'll take note and say nothing. So yes, he's a, he's actually an inch shorter than he purports to be, but then again, he is a rogue, so that foot padding might be for stealth purposes. Maybe. Unconscionable people misrepresenting who they are. Is the chest here? So we uh, we get to the room, and uh, I slide the door open. We go into that uh, the same large room that we were in uh, in our, our first meeting. I think it's the the only this is the next time that we've been here uh, yeah. together. And uh, uh, yes, just uh, one moment. And uh, I go sort of uh, to a specific cabinet in the side, pull it out. So it's definitely a workshop, and there's there's stuff out. Uh, in fact, right now there's a set of clamps with uh, some like little bag or purse or something. Um, it's very neat though. There's not like tools laid out. I don't have pegboard, but if I had pegboard, there'd be an outline for every tool and every tool would be in its place. And when you ask for where it is, I know exactly where it is. And I open it up and I take, take out this drawer. It's like on the right spot on the right shelf. And I take out the chest and uh, I go and I somewhat more gingerly than I would have before you mentioned uh, your broad intention with our first meeting. I uh, put it in the middle of the of the workbench, of the main middle workbench where there's nothing else right now. And I say, there you are. So uh, tell me, what's in the box? My secrets. 
if you take out the filler that I said was filler in there, you'll find that I have all the plans for the boat. You already have the plans? Oh my. I've been spending quite a bit of energy trying to uh, obtain such. Delightful. Delightful. Well done. One uh, one source, one source only, though. I, I can't verify that these plans are accurate. So, but I also have the shift schedules, the security patrols. I've been watching this boat for about five years. Wow. Don't you have a great deal of focus? Well done. And I'll, uh, I'll open the box and take out, if memory serves, art. Is that what you said was in there? That's correct. I'll take out the art. I'll take a quick glance at it. Is it actually art? There's really? art there, but on the other side. Oh, I see. Oh, it's quite lovely. Then I'll uh, move the box to the edge of the workbench so we have more space so we can uh, roll out these things. And I get some uh, little tiny polished rocks, which are clearly in my inventory for holding down large rolled pieces of, uh, of parchment or paper. And, uh, Set up our uh, set up the workbench so we can uh, review the things that you brought. So this brings us to the second problem: Nari Hulus are missing, but Ziva is unsure that uh, Ziva is at, at home right now, and she is convinced that somehow Jobsworth was Nari, but. Then when we looked at him, he looked more and more like Nari. And she's not convinced, though, that it's Nari. Nothing is what it seems to be in our world, it would seem. What exactly are you saying, Arabet? So, I am afraid that things are moving quicker than I want and was prepared for. With Nari out of the picture, um our backing financially and legally has sort of fallen away and others will notice that weakness in my stance as a member of the guild, which I will have you note, I avoided being a member of the guild for a long time. And I am not convinced I want to be a master of the guild. And that is the third problem. Ah, I see. In the... And what gives you this pause of thought towards the, uh, the rank of master within the guild? I don't mind working, per se. I like working. I like the work. But to be at the top of the heap is not really working per, in, in, this, in the fashion, in the sense that I'm used to, if you know what I mean. It is like management. Yes, yeah, I, I believe I understand. Well, together we seek to advance ourselves, and each of us, all of us, are and will continue to make sacrifices towards that goal. Perhaps this is part of what you must do to earn our new place in this city. I understand. And I, I agree with you. I don't see a, a recourse to running this, this route. 
but it's going to take us into some conflict, I think. Oh, well, we already knew that that was coming. Yes, but the, the return of Delilah is a problem for me because, well, simply put, Mr. Calder, I loved that woman. Delilah, this, that, uh, this is problem number one, yes? Yes, problem number one. Very well. Let me ask you this. Do you still love her? I'll find out at brunch. Very well. Well, then, we have this, uh, we have plans and schedules and other miscellany here for the boat job. I don't think there's much we can do about problem number three for right now, other than understand what is it about the timetable that we can affect to get things back on pace for your plans. The boat job is the thesis for my masterhood. And what is, uh, what is the concern that is accelerating the pace? Well, without Nari to uh, keep the wolves at bay in his, his own managerial sense, I'm worried about moving forward, sort of a hand short, so to speak. I'm also worried that we're going to have to bring Delilah into this. Well, you did just say that we were a hand short. But will everyone understand? Yes. I, uh... Yes. And incidentally, I recently had the opportunity to make an acquaintance, a new acquaintance at Starkweather and Fair. Have you ever heard Nari mention uh, one Mr. Greenleaf? Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, do you recall what sort of attitude or posture Nari had towards this fellow? This is, uh, this is the uh, advocate I've recently made an acquaintance with through a business transaction. Well, he didn't say much, but his posture was the typical neutral, hostile posture of Nari to anything new or anything adjacent to him. It was uh, not someone beneath him, though. Very well. I don't know if he's the sort of fellow that we would depend on, but there is at least the opportunity to open the conversation. That is some comfort. So, I'm sorry to be so sanguine, but for the purposes of the boat job, it appears to me that we must take stock of the game board. But before that, I understand that you need to have brunch and we need to understand just what sort of problem problem number one is. Agreed. But uh, I want to make this clear. This boat job, we have to move forward with it. Oh, indubitably. And we will work ever so hard to ensure that it happens at the opportune moment. The long-suffering and weary Jobsworth is uh, being summoned yet again to uh, Ziva's funeral parlor to help with some paperwork. He's been filling in more and more for uh, Nari's 
clerical duties lately. He approaches the door and uh, delivers a solid but crisp knock. He hears heavy footfalls and the door creaks open to reveal Primus in a very fine suit, a huge man in a very fine suit with an elaborate metal mask over his face. He looks down at Jobsworth, makes a guttural grunting noise, and steps back, holding the door open and letting him in. Jobsworth gives a crisp nod to the doorman as he walks in and uh, surveys the, uh, the hall for any sign of where he's supposed to go next. Uh, Primus leads, grunts, and leads him uh, toward uh, a back room where there is uh, an office and uh, he finds Ziva sitting at the desk. She's uh, wearing a a fairly nice but simple uh, suit uh, but with a long skirt instead of pants. And she looks up uh, as he comes in uh, and nods to Primus. Thank you. And gestures to the seat in front of her across the desk. Oh, with a quick uh, bow he, upon entering and uh, seeing the mistress, he uh, takes the seat when offered. And uh, ma'am? She hands over some paperwork. Ah, splendid. Any particulars with this case? Uh, Any particulars? She um, sits for a little bit and uh, goes over a few. Uh, they kind of sit and go over the um, details of uh, some of the paperwork. Uh, she describes a few the issues and that sort of thing. She's very businesslike and much colder than usual. She's not uh, her usual self. She really seems quite... Um, she's been very short with him. Jobsworth is actually looking more relaxed than usual at be- after being started to starting to be treated a bit more curtly by the mistress or mistress master he he is still a little uh (laughs) uncertain having not been properly instructed in the preferred title but at least she's starting to treat him like a servant again once um the paperwork is 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 sort of mostly finished and, and everything's done. She she sort of sits back and it crosses her arms and just gives him a, a very intense stare. Jobsworth uh, gives himself a, a quick adjustment on his uh, his cravat and his uh, his his collar and ma'am, is there something wrong? I'm 
kind of uh, tired of you being around. Where's my brother? Ah, the master is quite, quite busy, I'm afraid. Really? Oh, yes. I've been taking over more and more of his duties lately. It's been quite a burden. Yeah, I've noticed. Because you're not really acting like yourself. I'm sorry to hear that from you, ma'am. Has my, has my performance and my duties been in some way lacking? Do you remember that, um, that conversation we had about you not keeping things from me? You don't remember that conversation, do you? Keeping things from you? Yeah. And you, Nari has missed two dinners with mother. Two. That's pretty unusual. Especially with nothing but your word that he's just ever so busy. You, I've seen you eat things that I know Nari eats. You don't remember stuff that you should. Like, you're not right. There's something really not right happening right now around you. And I've not been able to figure out what it is, but I see all the signs. I must say, I'm genuinely distressed to hear that I've been causing you any distress or that the master's absence has been causing problems at home. I will endeavor to improve my duty, my the function of my duties to hopefully assuage these, these problems. Uh-huh. You're like really good at that. I gotta say, the, like, your bullshit skills are eight plus. Like, I gotta give you that. But if you were properly yourself and you knew what you should know, you would know not to fuck with me. And right now you're kind of fucking with me. So, where's my brother? I can't speak to his uh, exact location, ma'am. All, all I really know and all I was instructed was that he would be extremely busy for the foreseeable future. You're the same person. Ma'am? Okay. This is just getting weird. 
and she will um, pull one of the um, the chopstick-looking things that uh, hold up the huge mass of hair piled on her head. Uh, It's up in a big sort of bun on top of her head, and she pulls one of the sticks from it and uh, makes a gesture in the air, creating a symbol and muttering to herself. She casts, and the deep purple glow comes from her eyes and out of the out of the wand, the end of the wand, and it uh, puts almost like a, a sort of film over her eyes as she detects magic and looks around uh, with this sort of magical vision. And she gives uh, Jobsworth a very intense look with her now glowing eyes. Ma'am, is there some problem here? Yeah, there's a magical problem. And through her vision, she sees Jobsworth. It takes her a moment to sort of hone in. But she keeps staring and staring and staring. And then eventually she gets a very odd look on her face. She's like, that... What is that around your neck? My cravat. Oh, it's a fine silk piece. I, I can give you the name of the uh, the merchant I bought it at. No. Also, those colors are super tacky. But the necklace underneath it. Ah. I, uh, she found it. (laughs) Found it. Right. It wasn't, oh, I don't know, maybe a a gift from that council that Nari answers to. Really? Nothing to do with them at all. You have a weird, weird thomic energy around you right now. It's not. It's not from here. The hell are you? And she gets up from the desk and walks around uh, and intentionally uh, <clears throat> walks like sort of uh, between her body and the the chair sort of corners him uh, against the the bookshelf behind him. And she puts her hands on the arms of the uh, chair and comes directly into his face and stares inches, just an inch from his eyes with her glowing purple eyes and her ice-cold skin very close to him. She stares directly at him and says, Where is my brother? I don't know. You probably don't, do you? 
and she will reach up with uh, her wand and push the cravat side to show the stone uh, around his neck. Oh, I'll clutch at it defensively as it's, as soon as it's exposed. Yeah. That's what I thought. And she will wave uh, the wand in front of him, making a symbol again uh, and muttering another spell. Really, ma'am, I must protest. I'm only fulfilling my duties as instructed. Yeah, and those duties involved fucking with me, so bye. And she finishes casting to dispel the magic on Jobsworth. Jobsworth crumbles into a pile of leaves, some twigs, some snails. She steps back, uh, not having quite expected that. She uh, leans forward, looks at the pile, pokes at it a few times, um, and then pulls the, finally digs around in it until she finds uh, the stone that was around his neck. She picks it up and looks at it. It's a strange looking stone. This is faint iridescence to it. And it has a, a hole in the center. She takes a deep breath, concentrates, thinks really intently about Nari for a minute, and then looks through the hole in the stone. She sees Nari crouching behind some bushes, holding a piece of string. You can see just out of the corner that the string seems to be tied to a stick holding up a basket. And there's some vegetables and some scraps and stuff under the basket. Nari's looking with a wild look in his eyes at that, uh, at that basket from just behind, uh, behind a little shrub. She puts a hand to her chest in, in this feeling of almost pain seeing him that way. And she just says, okay, Nari, I'm coming. I don't, don't know how, but I'm going to get you. I'm going to find a way. Just hold on. Once she tears her eyes away from this site, she falls to the floor in the piles of leaves and sits a minute just looking at the slugs and little insects crawling around. Just hold on. And with that serendipitous choice of words, we turn our attention to a cave mouth and a high cliff face in an escarpment which runs along a frozen coastline all cloaked in snowbound pine forests. At this hour, the sun is just gone, vanished behind the disk of the world. 
All three moons are resplendent amidst the elemental rings. All of that is laid out against the endless black velvet bediamonded blanket of the heavens. Here, in the quiet cold of the winter precincts, you can almost hear the cosmos turn. Now from the cave emerges a humanoid figure who resembles nothing so much as the archetypal abominable snowman. He's dressed like head to toe in white fur. You could be forgiven for being in the mind that this is some breed of Sasquatch, but uh, he's carrying a gentleman's satchel. Now, as we draw close enough to make out the figure's features, we see that this is none other than our notorious notary, Nari himself. Together with the length of his hair and beard, this, uh, this big wardrobe change suggests that he's been here a lot longer than Bailey Mina seems to be aware of. When he reaches the sheer edge of the cave's mouth, he sits and lets his feet dangle as he shocks a mitten off into his lap and thumbs his satchel open where it sits beside him. So with a big sigh, you know, he goes digging around in his satchel without really looking as he's checking out the whole sky because, honestly, it's not the first time that the night sky is taking his breath away. It's just that here in the north you can see it. So he's digging around in his satchel, and when he pulls his hand out, he's holding in his hand this slightly luminescent, off-blue sort of globe. Now this is the Orb of Lubango, and it's taken him eight months to find it. However, the most difficult part of the job so far has been uh, climbing the very cliff his feet are now dangling from, so that's good. And at least the finder's fee is worth enough to set him up comfortably for a while. You know, starting to feel like he could do with a little less wandering. So as he replaces the orb, he has a good look at the sky and sees the clouds approaching with threatening snow. So, carefully, very carefully, he climbs back down the gray cliff face and into the forest below. Well, it looks like that'll just about do it for our season two premiere. Come back next time when we see what happens when the rest of the Rapscallions find out that Nari's been missing. You can find full track listings, cast notes, and other goodies at runewise.games. While you're there, drop us a comment. Or if Twitter's more your thing, you can find us at Cast the Runes. We also have email, runelanders at gmail.com. Hit us up on any of those venues. We love commentary, and we promise to read everything you send us. In fact, responding to listener mail is part of the idea we have for a behind-the-scenes show launching this season. So reach out, get in touch with us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. That's all I got for this week. This has been All That We See or Seen, Episode 1, Volume 2, Runelanders Rapscallions. Until we meet again, this is Mad Adam urging you to use your powers only in the service of awesome. Take care and bye for now.